0: Uh, open your worship folders and there, you're going to find a uh, sermon outline for um, our message today. And uh, I put a lot of work into the sermon, and it's a great sermon. And I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, Because this morning, um, God did some stuff and sort of brought some things out in some different places. And so... um, I wrote a whole new sermon this morning at eight o'clock, and we're going to do something completely different. It's going to be in the same sort of mode, but uh, in a different way, and uh, I believe God has a word for us today through um, this passage. This passage, instead of Acts 16, as you have in your outline, it goes back a chapter. Acts 15, 22 through 35 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning, and um, this morning's message is specifically focused, uh, it was going to be about opening your home, hospitality, and that's a great sermon, and hopefully some, someday soon we can get to that and, and what God can teach us there. But this morning's focus is on the discipline, the spiritual discipline of encouragement and what it is to open our hearts to God's encouragement through his people And so we're going to spend some time with that this morning. Just one quick word as well. Even as we're sitting here, one of the members of our community is uh, getting ready to be ushered into the presence of Jesus. Uh, Jack Randy Bermuda, depending on how you know him, you know him by a couple different names, uh, was um, released from uh, Life Support. Uh, earlier on on Friday, I believe, and he continues to walk through the pra- uh, process of being ushered into god 's presence, uh, Ross this morning, four breaths a minute is what he 's at, and so continue to pray for Jack, Randy, Bermuda, and um, his uh, community and his friends. God be praised, and this is one of those great stories um, of what God does when he shows up. Um, Randy has been estranged from his family for a very long time. And on Friday, um, a son whom he hadn't seen in eight years showed up at the hospital when they were called. And the man is a believer and has prayed into the, um, you know, the life of, of, of his dad as his dad dies and um, was truly grateful to this community for bringing Jack into a relationship with Jesus. So God is, God is good there, but we continue to want to pray for our brother with that. Acts 15, beginning at verse 22, as we gather around God's word, let's pray for his blessing and uh, presence in our time. Father, when we come here to this place, um, we, we want to we experience your presence. And we want to know more about you. Some of us come here not knowing you very much at all. We have questions, questions, We have doubts, um, frustrations. We pray, God, that you meet us in those places, that your love for us through Jesus Christ might be more real. We pray, Father, for those who come knowing you just a little, um, but beginning to trust you more. We pray, Father, that you meet those folks, too, in some of the questions that they have. In their experience of what it means to grow in Christ, we pray that, Lord, your word is a means to that today, and that, Lord, through the power of your word, that we might be growing and maturing as a follower of Jesus. And there are people here, Father, who know you really well and have walked with you for a very long time and and have given most of their life, given a, a lot of their space to you. But Lord, there's still room to grow and places, Lord, that we hang on to. Meet us in those places. May we give all of our lives to you. May those spaces be places where we see you show up and move us to maturity. Lord, there's people here who are hungry and thirsty for more of God, and they know him every day, in every place. They, Father are intimate with you. Meet us, Lord, if we are that person. That in that intimacy, we can know your love more and then share it with those around us who desperately need it. We know, Lord, that there are people who are here who are overwhelmed. Speak specifically to them right now. In Jesus name may you overwhelm them with your love and your grace in such a way that they might feel comfort and that they might feel peace. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said together. Amen. From Acts chapter 15 beginning at verse 22. Then the apostles and elders and when you see that then in there. There's stuff that comes before it. I'll talk about that in a moment here so you know a little bit more about context. The apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, They sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm the word of by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. People read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, how many of you over, let's say, sometime in the last two, three months or so, have felt a day or an hour or some period of time of just being overwhelmed by stuff, by life? How many of you have felt that way in some way, shape, or form? Maybe it was you were overwhelmed by something with your family. Or maybe you were overwhelmed by something with money and Maybe not having enough of it. Maybe there was a task or a situation at work that just came down and just all of a sudden you're in this quagmire of way too much to do with not near enough time. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you just feel overwhelmed by the challenge of being married to this person. You can give your little elbow or nudge here if you'd like. Maybe, maybe it's something else. And I think when we think about our lives, we can sort of create a scale of being overwhelmed, right? There's things that can overwhelm us a little, like maybe ones and twos. Over the course of the day, getting a call from your kids' school. If they're sick, you got to go pick them up, and that means your work day or something has changed, and you got to be home with them for the day, so your schedule's messed up. Or maybe it's, it's something else that all of a sudden a, an unexpected bill shows up, and then you know, oh, I'm, we're short again this month, or we've got to wait until this to be able to do that because we just don't have enough money. A one or a two, maybe a three on the scale. Then there are others that can sort of affect us for like a day or maybe even a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, every time I see Jacob Witt rock, walking around with a sling on, how overwhelming is it? What are we on? Like you've broken your arm like the 10th time. It's amazing how many times he's ended up in a sling. and It's one of those things and you've got to deal with that for a couple weeks. But still, it's not—it's something that you have to deal with, but it doesn't consume everything because he gets better and he heals. But we have things like that. I have that with my my car sometimes. My car doesn't work or, you know, it's, something's broke on or it doesn't start. Then all of a sudden, it, I, and I get really stressed by stuff like that. It frustrates you for a couple days while you're trying to work it out and figure how to get everybody to where they got to go. Those can be overwhelming experiences. But then, then there's the nines and even worse, the tens. Those are the bigger ones, right? The ones that start with phrases like this, I'm sorry to tell you, but your diagnosis is. I'm sorry, but your dad didn't make it through the night. I'm sorry, mom and dad, but I have to tell you who I really am. I'm gay. I'm sorry, but this relationship isn't working out. I think it's time we filed for divorce. Those are the sorts of things that, Ratchet that overwhelmed piece up to nine or ten in a split second, and they don't just get adjusted or dealt with or resolved in a moment or a day or a month, sometimes not even a year. Sometimes it takes much longer, it can even take a lifetime for some of those sorts of things. And they can come in and steal our joy, steal our energy, steal our life from us. When we look in our text this morning about the church at Antioch this is a group of people who are living in a place of overwhelmed of probably 4 or 5 It's a serious situation that they're dealing with, but it's one that they can resolve hopefully soon. We see how God does work to resolve it. But in it, we learn some ideas about what God does for his people when they experience that feeling of being overwhelmed or that feeling of being frustrated by circumstances or feeling lost or feeling isolated. And I think this is an important text to us because it reminds us in our participation in the lives of others around us, in how we go through our feelings of being overwhelmed and how others go through their feelings and how God brings us together for a plan and a purpose. See, these folks in Antioch are frustrated because what they thought was one thing got told to them in a different way, and it messed it up a little bit. They would had people come to them. People like Paul and Silas and Barnabas and other missionaries who've come and told them the story of Jesus Christ. And that story of Jesus Christ, if you look at Paul's writings and how he teaches, is completely riddled with grace and the love of Jesus. Over and over again, that's Paul's M.O. That's what he does. He talks about grace. He talks about Christ's love. He talks about what God gives to us so these people in Antioch have this identity we're new Christians we're Gentiles we're figuring out what this is all about and Paul has told us all about this grace and love and we're living into that but then there's another group that comes and this other group doesn't give quite the same message in fact they alter it significantly Now, they're living in this new identity of grace and the love of Jesus Christ. But then someone says, oh, that's great, but it's not enough. That's not enough for you. You need now to live in that grace and love of Jesus Christ by, well, you need to, frankly, be like us. We're Jews, and we have to do certain things. We are circumcised. We have the cleanliness laws. We have the dietary laws. You have to do things the way we do, and then Jesus will accept you. So in many ways, the Antioch church is going through a bit of an identity crisis. And if you're going through an identity crisis and you've gathered around this ideal of the grace and love of Jesus Christ, then someone comes in and says, no, 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 that's not enough. It messes you up for a while. That's where they are. They're in this place being... I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. How is this supposed to go now? What's truth anymore? They're asking some questions of themselves, and they're asking questions of others, and they don't have the answers. They'd heard things that confused and overwhelmed them. What were they supposed to do, and what should they believe? Now, there's stuff going on, the believers the church is trying to help them there's this whole gathering in Jerusalem right we read all about that in the chapter or the previous part of chapter 15 there's a gathering it's called one of the first synods first big gathering of churches and they're trying to figure okay what do we tell this church what do we tell Antioch but you don't know anything about it. Antioch is at least a couple weeks journey away from Jerusalem and it's not like you can Skype into the conversation or get a live stream of what's going on Going on in Jerusalem. You can't know, hey, they're trying to help us. Instead, the Antioch church feels like nobody cares. We're struggling and nobody cares. And we can feel that same way sometimes, can't we? And lots of things can do it. Kids can do it. Oh, we love our kids. And we see these little bodies up here. And I look at your kids, and they're cute and awesome. You look at my kids, and you say, they're cute and awesome. Well, cute. they're older now, so they're, they're just awesome. But you're not with them all the time. They're not awesome all the time. And your kids probably aren't awesome all the time. And sometimes, you moms and dads know, you can just feel that feeling of being overwhelmed. Like, good grief, give me some space already. Or, I am not doing one more thing today. I'm not doing it. Or, I wish we could figure this out. School isn't going well. Friends aren't going well. Maybe their life just isn't going well. Kids can do it sometimes. And my guess is it doesn't change. Doesn't alter the older that you get. Parents can do it to us, right? The older we get. Many of you talk about parents that you now have to care for. And how do you do that? How do you say to dad, it's time for you to give up the car keys. You shouldn't drive anymore. How hard is it sometimes to realize that mom's losing it? And she really doesn't know much of what's going on around us anymore. And you talk to a family who's going through that experience, and I'll tell you, overwhelmed will be one of the first words that you hear. Work can do it. Somebody talked to me this morning after the first service. Not long ago, they had two employees, long-term employees in their company. Found out they had been embezzling over $200,000. What do you do then? What do you do when your boss rules with an iron fist and makes your life unbearable? What do you do when your coworker, depending on their mood, messes up your day or makes it and their moods swing often? Money can do it, or the lack thereof if we don't have enough at the end of the month, when we see another one of those envelopes with the red print on it, you know what I'm talking about? Past due? Last notice? Something's going to get cut off. Something's going to be taken away. Something's something's wrong. And those are the sorts of things that can keep you up at night sometimes. And there's more told you before how much I hate the word cancer. Cancer is one of those things that overwhelms in a second. Not just because it kills, but because of what it steals from people. Talk to anybody who's gone through cancer treatment long term and they will tell you slowly but surely cancer takes away this or that, takes away energy, takes away focus, takes away ability and slowly but surely so much is stolen from you. And certainly death can do that to us. A spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, who is gone, leaves a massive hole that can throw us for a loop and the spiral can get so very, very deep. These are all the sorts of things, and there's many, many more that can come in, overwhelm us, and we don't know even which way is up sometimes. When we get up to that nine or a ten of overwhelmed experience, we start to wonder, how do I get out from this? How do I fix this, especially when the solution isn't clear, or especially when we try different things, and it just seems like nothing works. That feeling is a very real thing. And it gets magnified often by a couple different things. First of all, we can struggle alone. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I've heard that phrase too many times to count. Nobody knows what I'm really feeling. Nobody knows what my dark nights of the soul look like. Nobody can understand. And so we don't tell anyone. We don't let anyone in. We stay in our isolation and in our discouragement and in our feeling of being overwhelmed and stays that way. We get stuck. And our pain becomes even worse because when nobody can come in, then we can also say this phrase. Nobody cares, right? If nobody understands and we don't get help, then nobody really cares. Nobody really cares how we feel. Nobody cares enough to talk to us about how to fix this. It's one of those catch-22 experiences. The thing is, we don't want to tell people, right? I don't know about you, I am a stubborn, independent individual. I am one of those people who likes control of my life and how I walk through it. So when I think about those experiences of being overwhelmed in my life, who am I going to tell? They don't know as well as I do how to fix it. They're not going to be able to come in and figure this out. I have to do it on my own. And that attitude perpetuates itself to my isolation and loneliness. I can feel this experience a lot. In fact, over the course of my life, I realize it's one of my default moves. I can feel overwhelmed and the isolation almost immediately follows. Why? Because I'm a stubborn goofball. And I can do it on my own. And you're not really going to be able to help me anyway. So what's the point? I'll figure it out. It's a really good phrase in my mind. And the problem is, it often doesn't work. Like I said, I've been in this place often. I was in that place uh, four or five months ago maybe. One of those things where, frankly, you could have had my job for a quarter. And I would have given you the quarter to take it. Frustrated by the experience of work. Frustrated by things that weren't going well. Frustrated by relationships. Frustrated by what people were wanting from me that I couldn't give. Frustrated by some things at home. Frustrated by a lot of different stuff. And of course, nobody really knew what was going on. Nobody around me really knew. Sure, Kristen and I, we had conversations about it and we worked it through, but nobody outside of that I'm the pastor. Who am I going to tell? Who's who's going to counsel me? And I was in a meeting one morning with a group, very early morning meeting, and it was really clear to me in those moments, God doesn't always speak to me clearly, believe you me. In this moment, he did. And he spoke clearly to me in that meeting, and he said to me, there is a person in this meeting that I want you to sit and spend some time with. And it was just, yeah, abundantly clear that this was a meeting I was supposed to have. So after I was done with the early morning meeting, I texted him and I said, um, can we meet later this afternoon? And he said, sure. You know, you know, it's sort of those text conversations when um, you get, you know, things back and forth, but you don't really understand how the other person is feeling. When he said, sure, he didn't, tell me that he was scared at the time when I texted him because a pastor had asked to meet with him. He thought he was in trouble. (laughs) He thought that he was getting called on the carpet for something. He couldn't figure out what, but like all of us, he could make up a couple things that he was in trouble for. So we met that afternoon. We met at Uncle Howie's Pizza. You didn't know it, but Uncle Howie's Pizza is actually a sanctuary, a holy place, and you can do the work of God there. It is. Um, I've been there and done that. So we sit down in Uncle Howie's and um, we talk for about an hour. When I say Uncle Howie's is a holy place, I mean it. God spoke to me in that hour through this man who had no idea how God was going to use him. He thought he was in trouble. He didn't know that I was in trouble. And he didn't know that what he did for me showed the love of Jesus Christ in a transforming way to my heart. I was overwhelmed with life and suddenly I wasn't alone that's what this text teaches to us. If you look at the story here, Antioch is a group of people, they don't know what it is that they are supposed to do. Are we supposed to just figure this out on their own? They gather for meetings, they gather for discussions, they talk, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go and get circumcised? And you know all the men of the group were concerned about that. Because there's no going back from that. And what if they find out later on? No, that's not what you were supposed to do. Oops, sorry. Do we need to go down the dietary laws? Do we need to go down all these things, these places, and do all the stuff that these people are telling us to do in order to follow Jesus? Should we become, like them, good Jews? And they're wondering, and I can imagine that there was debate, maybe even argument among them. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. A group of people overwhelmed... knock, knock, knock. They're gathered together. There's a knock on the door. Hello, brothers and sisters. We're here from Jerusalem. And we've been sent by the church there to share this letter with you and to encourage you and to tell you you're not alone. You see What it does to be told, you are not alone. Someone understands your plight. Someone understands your experience. We're thinking of you. We love you. Christ loves you. We are praying for you. The Spirit shows itself to Antioch through the church. The apostles, by coming and sending the letter, remind them, you are not alone. We're with you. And having those words not only spoken, but lived out through the presence of these brothers who have come on a perilous couple-week journey to them, who have come for the specific purpose of sharing love and encouragement with them, that spoke volumes to them. It changes their loneliness to something that helps immensely. And you'll notice even what the letter says. It says, okay, you don't have to go down all the Jewish roads, but don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't drink blood. Don't eat food of strangled animals. And, oh yeah, you also should abstain from sexual immorality. And they hear that and it's, oh, thank you for the clarity. That's really helpful. Now we know what it is that we should do and we shouldn't do. But that's not the real encouragement of the letter. That's not the real encouragement of the story. Because the real encouragement is that these people don't leave. Look at what verses 31 and 32 say. It says this there. The people read the letter and they were glad for its encouraging message. They're happy. We have clarity now. We know what it is that we're supposed to do. But then what does 32 say? It says this. It says, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, what did they do? They said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. So yes, the words that they spoke and the words that they brought were good. But their presence and their love and what their presence meant as a statement of love meant everything. These were people who needed to be shown that they mattered to somebody else and somebody else cared. And the brothers showing up and doing exactly that makes all the difference. So much so that by the end of this section of the text, they can send them home. Thank you. Your work is done. You've you've helped us so much and we are so grateful. Now go and do it likewise for another community because we know how much we needed it and others need it too. Because there are open hearts here. Open hearts both to encourage another, the brothers who went to Antioch, and open hearts to receive encouragement. In essence, say help. I need help. Because hearts were open, the blessing comes. God's love shows up. God's grace shows up. And there's hope where once before, there was despair. Now, as we think about our experience, how do we navigate our thing, our stuff? When we feel overwhelmed, remember that a kind and loving word can be miraculous. Two things. First of all, I'm grateful. I had a woman come into my office this week and she had a letter signed. She had a card signed by a bunch of people in her Bible study. And on that letter, uh, on that card, it said, thank you for being our pastor. And all they did was sign their name. Very simple. But that card spoke volumes to me. It spoke love to me. It spoke encouragement to me. And I'm grateful for that. Second thing that I want to highlight here is that Nick and I do this thing either every Monday or Tuesdays where we sort of walk and review everything that we do over the course of a Sunday service. So we just sort of look at things and especially how the message was preached and how the sermon was was presented. And one of the things that he said to me recently was one of those things that I knew about but um, I needed to be reminded of. See, I don't know if you know this, but as a preacher, I can sometimes be a little intense. I don't know how that happens. I can be a little intense up here. I, I think I'm pretty laid back, but apparently others don't. And when I get intense, there's one thing that I do that really isn't always helpful. And this impacts how I give encouragement too. And that is, I don't smile. I don't smile when I'm presenting God's love to you from his word. So I'm telling you that God loves you so much and you're looking at me because I'm so angry and you start to wonder, I I, I hear you, I get it, I get it. But when we think about words of encouragement, it's much the same way. How do we present a word of love and grace from the Lord in a way that shows the love and grace of the Lord. So I need to know that when I speak words of encouragement, when we speak words of encouragement, we do it in such a way that it's heard with the love in which it's intended. John, I know the journey without your brother is hard. I know that there's challenges in saying goodbye, but hear that you and your family are not alone, that we love you, We pray for you regularly. You are one of us. And you always, always know that love. Never, ever, ever forget it. For us to figure out ways to do that in the lives of those around us. And we know who they are. We know who God has put into our life that we can speak words of encouragement with the love that they are intended so that they are spoken to an overwhelmed heart and that heart hears, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And that speaks absolutely volumes to us. Now, Here's a couple other barriers that we got to sort of walk around here. One of the barriers there are that when we are overwhelmed we don't want to ask for help. Please ask, ask for help. As your pastor, you have permission. elgersmith@rivercrc.com pull out your smartphone. I don't care if you're distracted from the message. Right now you need help. Pull out your smartphone. Send me an email. Algersmith the com. all you have to put in there is help. Help. Or maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's uh people up here after the service. There'll be people here. Come, let's speak about how God can help you, encourage you, and be present with you. Ask for help. Yes, you could probably do it on your own, but you'll mess it up or it will hurt more or it will take a lot longer. Come be a part of what God is offering you in Jesus Christ, His help. And the second thing is when We hear the call for help. Yeah, it's hard to enter into that sometimes, right? Maybe we don't completely understand the problem. Maybe we don't know. We haven't experienced that. We don't know what to say. You see, the thing is of the text, it reminds us, it's not just about what you say. They told them how they should live as followers of Jesus Christ in a couple very simple sentences. But then they stayed there and they showed the love for the them by just being present be present as an encouragement and a word of love in the life of another who needs that sort of encouragement the great thing is is when we do it what a blessing let me tell you about some of my favorite days i had one actually on friday Friday was a day that, no, it was Thursday, sorry. Thursday, we're in the office here, and I'm working on my sermon that I didn't give you, um, and finishing it up, and all of a sudden I hear this gruff, raspy voice from down the hall. keep my door closed when I'm getting my sermon ready, and I recognize that voice. It's like a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Uh, Who is this, this man? Oh, yes, it's James and Faith Oates. They're visiting us again from their camp in New Mexico. And the beautiful thing about them coming in was not James, because James has one of the ugliest beards I've ever seen in my life right now. But the beautiful thing about them coming into the office is that I saw what the community of encouragement does. There was about maybe seven of us gathered in the hallway, right outside Beth Kim's office. And for about 10 minutes, we're hearing little stories of faith in James' story in New Mexico. We're reminding each other how much we love them, how much they love us. They said, we miss the river. We love the river. This is our family. And we said to them, we love you, we miss you too, and we think of you often. And no matter what their experience is there, they know that there's people here who love them and are their people. They're not lonely. They're not isolated. No matter how hard things get, there are people here who care. I love those sorts of days. I love those sorts of days where I see people gather around a person in need, where I see people coming beside those who are struggling, showing love, showing grace, and telling each other, you're not alone. Christ has offered us to each other to be that sort of love. When that happens and we live into that, it's very much God saying through us, one to another, I love you. I care about you. I've sent these people to you so that you know just How much I love you. We've already put up our hands with how many people feel that feeling of being overwhelmed. So, some challenges as you leave. Very simply, if you are in need because you're overwhelmed, ask for help. There'll be an opportunity right after the service is over. There'll be a couple of us, some elders, some pastors up here. and We're going to gather. We're going to be here. If you need help, all you have to do is walk up to the very front, look us in the eye, and you don't even have to tell us what's going on. We don't even have to know. Because we can share God's love into a situation that we don't even understand. God does. Just come up and say help. And if God is giving you right now, and maybe he is, and I hope he is, if he is giving you the name or a picture of a person that you need to be an encouragement to, a card, a phone call, a word in the hallway, chasing down in the fellowship hall, then please be obedient to the call of God because we know ourselves how powerful that feeling of being overwhelmed is. and We don't want that for our lives and if we can bless others in that experience then for us to be obedient to that is a beautiful thing people of the river let's pray together that God equips us to that end living God for those who are here this morning in the midst of cancer mourning in the midst of a child rebelling In the middle of a parent aging or a job declining, in a marriage that is frustrating, whatever our experience is, Lord, we ask that you meet us in those places. Meet us, Lord, through your love and your grace, and maybe, Lord, you might use others to speak into what we're going through. Maybe you'll bring us a friend, a family member, a pastor, a church, fellow church member, who, Lord, can speak your love and grace into our lives. And Father, if you prompt us to be that person, equip us, Lord, to simply smile and with the love of Jesus, share words of encouragement. Maybe, Lord, it's simply a prayer. Maybe, Lord, it is a time of coffee where we listen way more than we talk. But if, Lord, that's a way that you want to grow your people, show your love, show your encouragement, maybe even, Lord, speak your name for the first time, Lord, equip us to that end. Equip us that we might be used by you for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.